0: It's Film Week on LA 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Joined this week by critics Manuel Bettencourt of Film Quarterly where he's contributing, editor Charles Solomon who reviews animation for Animation Scoop and Animation Magazine. And Leah Lowenstein, all joining us to do a, a large number of films this week, led by Haunted Mansion. You might remember twenty years ago Disney had the Haunted Mansion starring Eddie Murphy, but this Haunted Mansion, the new one, stars Lakeith Stanfield, Tiffany Haddish, and Owen Wilson. Justin Simeon, the director, Katie Dippold is the screenwriter. Leah, what do you think of Haunted Mansion?
3: Well, I thought this was a serviceable take. Uh, And, you know, of course we have seen from Disney recently, with varying degrees of success, uh, their trend of making movies based on attractions or rides. Pirates of the Caribbean being the most successful example. Jungle Cruise being one that... Really didn't work, um, you know. This is counter to the original trend of basing your attraction or your ride on the movie,
0: like Universal Studios does so often.
3: Right, and and also which Disney did uh, as well with has done with with many things: Alice in Wonderland, Snow White, so forth, um, Indiana Jones. So anyway, this is. Uh to the extent that if you like the ride, you will be reminded of it frequently in the film. I think it does that successfully. This is a, a the story is sort of loosely hinged around a house in New Orleans, a big mansion that uh, uh, a mother and son arrive at, thinking they're going to start a new life, and guess what? It's haunted. They have to find a way to banish the ghosts in a Ghostbusters-y kind of uh, nod. And uh, a cast of various extras come along to help them, including Jamie Lee Curtis, Lakeith Stansfield, Owen Wilson as maybe a priest, you know, uh, Jared Leto as a top hat ghost. It's goofy. The special effects spare no expense, I'll say that. Um, It doesn't feel like it's really a completely cohesive film, nor is it particularly uh, successful in getting the emotion that it strives for. Uh, but it's it's all right. It's serviceable.
0: Haunted Mansion. What did you think, Manuel?
1: I think serviceable is a fair assessment. Uh, <laughs> and I do think it's a little bit disjointed. I think it's trying to do a lot of different things. It's really interested in grief and how do we move on from grief. Um, Lakeith's character is dealing with the loss of his um, partner, his wife. And so that sort of fuels his idea of you know, how can he battle these ghosts that apparently are going to become super powerful once they gather a thousand souls and it's sort of unclear what (laughs) happens, but you're supposed to go along with it. Um, And it's a tricky tone to land on because the the ride is sort of goofy and you're supposed to chuckle when you see the ghosts. And here it tries to go for sort of edgier scares, but it's aimed at a family-friendly audience. And, you know, you have Tiffany Haddish and Danny DeVito and Owen Wilson, and they're all kind of like different kinds of comedians and their comedy never quite gels altogether. Um, But it is enjoyable enough. And I think it's sort of like, if you like the ride, you're 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 like any of these performers, you'll probably have um, an enjoyable time. Yeah,
0: New Orleans has such a sense of place and kind of plays up for tourists, kind of the spooky nature of the French Quarter particularly. Does the movie get into that at all? It opens the movie.
3: Yeah, it opens the movie, and there are some scenes that were, I'm pretty sure, shot on location, both in the Garden District and the French Quarter. Um, there are some some nods to actual New Orleans, and it does sort of permeate the the, the spirit of the film. So, yeah, uh, it, it does.
0: <laughs> Haunted Mansion is rated PG-13, directed by Justin Simeon, and it's in wide release. The animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, directed by Jeff Rowe and Kyler Spears. Charles?
2: I think I've seen all of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. Not something I usually brag about. <laughs> uh, however, this is the best of them by light years. The ins- I mean, clearly they learned a lot from Spider-Verse. The, the services are very drawing-like, and they're playing with things in a way that they haven't before. But they make it their own. And what they also make their own are these well-known characters. They vary the designs of them a little bit so that you can tell one from another in a way that you haven't been able to before. They also give them personalities in a way they haven't had before. And instead of being just these dark crime fighters, they're four teenage brothers who are just discovering what their martial arts training can do in real life. There's a very funny uh, montage of them learning moves from old Chop Saki and and martial arts movies. Uh, and what they really want to be is just normal teenagers going to high school. And this is a side of them we really haven't seen before. Uh, Jackie Chan is terrific as Splinter, their their mentor, the, the mutated rat. Uh, it's lots and lots of fun. The, I have two minor criticisms. One, I wish they would have held the camera still a little bit because they could just let you look at the animation, which, while not brilliant, is good and solid. It's very well staged. Uh, but during the credits, they suddenly give you a preview of the sequel. OK, clearly a film like this, there's a sequel in the works, but we don't need <laughs> or for that kind of commercial <laughs> because it is a really good film. Anyone who likes these characters or this kind of action anime is just going to have a ball with
0: it. We had a lot of fun. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, Manuel.
1: Yeah, I thought this was a delight of a film and I think Charles is is correct in acknowledging that the thing that makes it different and what really sets it apart is that the turtles are finally voiced by teenagers. Um, and I think that brings a very youthful sort of energy to the film where you do feel like they're kind of awkward and goofy and they they've been together for 15 years. They don't know social etiquette and they don't really recognize how uh, dorky they can be. And their motivations are very teenage driven. They want to impress a girl. They want to go to high school. They want to go to prom like, and sort of every crime fighting sort of scenario that follows, which, you know, has them. Um, trying to fend off Superfly and his... um Master plan to sort of destroy humans is driven by very <laughs> sort of normal um, teenage boy things, uh, and I found that really endearing. And I it was I was so delighted. I grew up with the Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah. Turtles, and so for me, uh, as Charles says, this is probably like the best version that I've seen in my lifetime.
0: That's great. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem, the animated uh, feature, releases next Wednesday, August second. Jeff Rowe and Kyler Spears are the directors. It's rated PG again in wide release starting next Wednesday. The drama War Pony stars Jojo Baptiste Whiting Ladanian Crazy Thunder and Ashley Shelton. It's directed by Gina Gamel and Riley Keough in their co-directorial feature debuts. Manuel, what did you think of War Pony?
1: This was probably the biggest surprise for me this week. Uh, this is such a gentle raw and vulnerable portrait of Um, Native American masculinity and boyhood Uh, so it's set in the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation and we're following um, two boys an older teenager or an older um, young man who's a father of two uh, by two (laughs) uh, teenage um, women and then a young boy who sort of has this like absent father and who sort of they're both needing to move through the world trying to find ways of basically surviving um if not thriving and that requires at times uh dealing in very unsavory territory when it comes to criminality when it comes to drugs uh this idea that they they have no other way of moving forward no other way of making money no other way of sort of um making a life for themselves um you can really sense the authenticity of the performances and of the sense of space and the sense of um, the sensibility that um, these two um, first-time filmmakers are are sort of bringing to it, um, I found it completely entrancing, and I just can't say enough good things about it. Wow, that's great.
0: It's in English and Mm Sue. War Pony is at Lemley's Monica Film Center in Santa Monica. It's also available for on-demand viewing. War Pony. The Unknown Country, a drama starring Lily Gladstone, Raymond Lee, and Ali Lopez-Soheli. The film is written and directed by Marissa Maltz in her feature directorial debut. Lael, what did you think of The Unknown Country?
3: I I really enjoyed this film. It was uh, also kind of a revelation to me. It stars Lily Gladstone, who is a wonderful Native American actress who is in the forthcoming Killers of the Flower Moon, was in Certain Women, um, and she both co-wrote and uh, stars in in this film. It's a story of a woman on a road trip journeying from Minnesota through the Badlands of South Dakota down eventually to to end in Texas. And the people that she meets Along the way, the adventures that she has, the the relative who's getting married, the woman in the diner who makes sure to make every customer leave happy, uh, the guy running the convenience store, these each of these little characters, these these peripheral characters have a little narration, a voiceover narration to um, a window into their life. And it's a very lyrical, meditative kind of poetic film that reminds me of some of the early work of Terrence Malick, Um and it's it's it doesn't fit into conventional categories. It's not it's it's not something you can, you know, say let's go see this road trip movie. It's not. It's very different. It's just sort of like you get lost in the wanderings of it. And uh, Gladstone's character Tana. Has also sustained some sort of a loss that we don't know about until late in the film. We don't understand. She's just very sad, and she carries the weight of this with her. Gladstone is an actress who who conveys tremendous depth. um, And you know, even even as she's being silent, you know, um, superficially, she's she's there's so much going on that you really feel that she is keenly observant of the world around her. this is I really great like to hear film. about
0: these good films yeah. this week it's a really good week for movies well, we're talking yes about no. <laughs> uh, well well so far hold on <laughs>
3: hold on <Barry. laughs> hold that beer i'm getting carried away
0: <laughs> the unknown country manuel
1: yeah i cannot stress and i'm so happy that leo uh, spent so much time talking about uh, gladstone because she is an actress that i've loved forever and i'm so happy that she's having sort of a great year because she does manage to sort of um, express so much with so little. It's such a subtle performance. We, she's she's barely talking through most of it. Uh, I think the film that it, this most reminded me of was Nomadland, which almost feels yeah. like an unfair yeah. comparison mm-hmm. to both films because they're trying to do very different things. But it is very meandering, and I think that that may be the one snag that. Um, Folks may have with it. I enjoyed the journey. I thought, for example, the score really helps it along. It it keeps keeps it a little bit sort of kinetic and sort of uh, gives it a kind of texture even when it's not really doing much. Um, but I thought it was like really uh, really enchanting and and again a great performance showcase for Gladstone.
0: The Unknown Country is the film. It's unrated, written and directed by Marissa Maltz and it's at Landmarks New Art Theater in West Los Angeles. The first, Slam Dunk, uh, an animated film from Japan, written and directed by Takahiko Inoue. Charles?
2: Um, this is the, now the number five all-time box-off champion animated feature. It was a huge hit in Japan last year. And Slam Dunk was the manga series that helped to make basketball popular in Japan. Uh, And Inouye is a Lakers fan, by the way.
0: Good, good. He's right for this. Right.
2: (laughs) And it was animated initially in the 90s rather cheaply. And then for years, the studio chased Inouye trying to get him to do it again. And they finally showed him that by using motion capture technology and processing it, they could make the characters actually look like his drawings, which are incredibly beautifully uh, realized. So... That gives it a visual excitement that is unusual. Anyone who's a basketball fan is going to have fun with this. It's set in the final episode of the manga where the underdog team is, you know, in the championship. They had no business getting there. But he shifts the focus from uh, Kuwabara, who was the sort of anti-hero of the the manga, to um, Miyagi, who is a short... He's only supposed to be about 5'8 guard and his backstory and how he grew up feeling he had to take the place of his brother who was killed in a boating accident, was his mother's favorite. He kind of had to become an athlete to fulfill his brother's destiny. So, complicated emotionally, very exciting visually. I, I really enjoyed it, and as I say, I think, Basketball fans will
0: will uh, get off on it. The first slam dunk, Lael.
3: I concur pretty much with what Charles said. I also want to point out the the sound design, which um, brings up every you know every squeak of a sneaker on a on a gym floor. It really felt very much like you're you're actually at a basketball game. I I thought the animation was extraordinary and really impressive. The way some of the images seem to be drawn before your very eyes on the screen. I did think it was a little bit long and uh, could have you know, maybe worked a little better at a much shorter length, but uh, in general, I liked it very much.
0: The first slam dunk from writer-director Takahiko Inoue, rated PG-13. It's in Japanese with English subtitles and available in select theaters. We have more coming up with Lael, Manuel, and Charles. We'll hear what they have to say about Bobby Wine, the People's President, among others. That documentary up next when we continue on Film Week. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. Larry Mantle joined by critics Charles Solomon, Manuel Bettencourt, and Leil Lowenstein. Next up is the documentary Bobby Wine, The People's President, which takes us to Uganda. The film is directed by Moses Boyo and Christopher Sharp. Manuel, what did you think?
1: I find that, you know, documentaries like this are often only as strong as their subject or their subject matter. And in this case, I think Bobby Wine delivers. The Ugandan pop star uh, turned politician, turned presidential candidate is very charismatic in his own right. And you can immediately see how he would galvanize sort of a youthful population who really want a kind of political change after... you know, uh, the, the president has been in office since 1986 um, and has no att- has no plans of changing that or the government sort of um, uh, letting go of their power. Um, and so the documentary chronicles his rise um, to fame. You know, he, he grew up in the slums and then becomes this very famous pop star and then decides to go into politics and. Um, which does not go very well for him. He's constantly threatened, he's constantly jailed. he's constantly arrested every at every single turn, whenever it feels like there's a groundswell um, of of support, the government, the police, the military, the president um, clamp down on him uh, to the point where he sometimes has to like flee to the United States. sometimes he's jailed, sometimes he's like and and sort of in that sense, the documentary feels like an emboldening and kind of hopeful portrait of what it takes to really, Um, fight for democracy in a system that really makes no room for that. It's a little uh, sort of by the books and sort of uh, you can sort of see where it's going. But the imagery, specifically all the footage of police brutality and of the kind of military action that gets taking place during protests, um, it's kind of harrowing to watch. And I think it makes it a kind of um, really important document in that sense.
0: And I saw the, the director was actually arrested while making the film. Yeah. Uh, the director being Moses Boyo, along with Christopher Sharp. Leo, what did you think of Bobby Wine, the People's President? Yeah,
3: I agree with Manuel. Um, Boyo and Sharp, the directors, had just extraordinary access and I think were essentially embedded with Bobby Wine and his family for seven years. So that's why you get so much, you know, just up-close and personal access. Um, They to the extent that they are actually characters in the film that we don't know about, that's a little bit frustrating sometimes, I mean, because they're right there with him and they're asking him questions and, you know but they obviously have a perspective on this, too. I did not really know anything about Bobby Wine's story. I learned an incredible amount. It was disturbing and dispiriting to see that Museveni uh, could change the Constitution, essentially, despite having reached a term limit that was mandated in the Constitution. He just decided to change the Constitution. When there was an age limit, he decided to change that. I mean, that was really kind of extraordinary and disturbing. And, you know, I also felt that uh, it was just a really searing kind of political documentary. Reminded me of Navalny in some ways Mm. as well. Uh, Really learned a lot from this and I thought it was pretty well done.
0: Bobby Wine, The People's President is rated PG-13. The film is available at Lemley's Royal in West Los Angeles. The animated film Justice League War World is directed by Jeff Womaster, Uh, the screenplay from Jeremy Adams, Ernie Atbacker, and Josie Campbell. Charles, what did you think?
2: Uh, I found this odd. It takes three of the DC heroes, plops them into alien environments where they don't necessarily function terribly well. Wonder Woman is in an old Western world that feels a bit like the planet in Trigun, uh, it's more violent than we expect American animation to be, particularly in this one. Batman is in a Frank Frazetta-style sword and sorcery fantasy, but why do you need Batman with no bat gadgets? You know, you, don't, you can't have a Batmobile and and all the other bat devices in this, so what's he doing there? And then Clark Kent is now like a CIA agent looking into this mysterious alien landing, and this turns into an enormous Morris the Explainer scene, that these were all fantasies this alien had created for these characters because he needs help. It's just weird. I mean, it's a superhero <laughs>
0: out of story. And it's rated R. I mean, I don't tend to think of Justice League as, as R-rated. Lots of blood, lots of shootings. Okay. Uh, Justice League War World, the animated film, is rated R, as I mentioned, and it's available for home viewing on demand. The Mistress is a horror thriller starring John Magaro and Chasen Harmon. The film's written and directed by Greg Pritikin. Manuel, what do you think of The Mistress?
1: So this is a, this was an interesting proposition. So it sounds like we've seen this movie before. This blissfully happy couple move into this like giant Victorian house. Um, that may or may not be haunted. Um, it's set in here in Los Angeles and everything begins to go amiss when they find this old timey photograph and this uh, slew of letters written sort of 100 years ago about this woman who possibly committed suicide uh, and may now be haunting um the, the the couple and particularly the the man who's a writer and struggling with his like latest project uh, and eventually it starts unearthing all these issues between the couple and especially for the writer uh, and at every turn you're wondering is he really being haunted is this are these figures in these apparitions that he's seeing real are they figments of his imagination Uh, there is a a wonderful twist and at times these like subplots about this like flirty uh, next door neighbor and this uh, restraining order and a possible stalker that he used to have before that felt ancillary sort of come together and coalesce to me, it it it's. Uh, I found myself very intellectually engaged with it, as opposed to viscerally engaged, mm. which is I don't think something you want to be saying about a horror thriller. Yeah.
0: Ideally, both. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but I, I will say this: uh, Magaro is who was equally, you know, engaging in past lives earlier this summer is here, um, really great as sort of as the center of this uh, sort of psychological thriller.
0: And Raydon Chong is in the cast. I can't remember the last time I've seen her in a yeah. film. So, uh, The Mistress, a uh, horror thriller, is unrated. Greg Pritikin, the writer director, and it's at Lemley's Glendale Theater, also available for on demand home viewing. Miraculous Ladybug and Cat Noir, the movie, a French animated film, uh, which is directed by Jeremy Zag and Thomas Ostrook. Charles. Well,
2: Leo promised the listeners bad movies, and here's where we deliver. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is very odd, very trite, and bad to the point of being, I found, offensive in places. <laughs> we have a cliched, klutzy, maladroit, unpopular girl and the cool guy, and they get superpowers and start doing all these things. But And the director has, has boasted that he's the first person to bring together the, the kind of DC Marvel universe with the Disney musical tradition. And you know... Maybe there's a reason no one has put songs in a superhero story before. There's a really good reason not to. They don't work, particularly not these songs. Um, There is a little Chinese man who speaks in Mr. Miyagi fortune cookie dialogue who's embarrassing. And in a really stunning piece of tastelessness, the first big action set piece, they're smashing the rose windows in Notre Dame and bursting through its towers at the time when the cathedral is still being rebuilt from that horrible fire. And that has to have
0: happened after they started this movie. So you just wonder, why? Miraculous. Ladybug and Cat Noir, the movie. Uh, Lael, you made it so, I guess, in saying that. us. Manuel.
1: Yeah, uh, this, it's... I I have no words. I was, <laughs> I, I was agog oh, while sure watching which it. Is something for a that, man
0: of your articulate uh, nature that you're. I speechless.
1: I just didn't understand this. Like, design, like they they're bursting into songs to explain the powers that a ladybug figure <laughs> gives her, and it's with a yo yo, and that's her superpower. And you know, this is apparently this is not a panel, This is based on a tv show and in a way it feels like an origin story so i i I wonder what you would take away from this if you have been following this tv show for a long time um i hear it's doing great box office in france uh so maybe it is sort of this like cultural thing that i just could not get into it um i thought the animation was particularly bland and not very inspired um and yeah i don't I <laughs> I was very confused. It is Italian.
0: multilingual. It's got that going for it. So at least uh, French, oh, yeah. uh, English, and Spanish. Miraculous. Ladybug and Cat Noir, the movie. It's at the Bay Theater in Pacific Palisades and is streaming on Netflix as well. We also want to revisit Barbie, which of course had a smash opening last weekend. Oppenheimer also doing huge business. But Barbie is such a talked about film because of the th- Themes that were included in the movie, starring Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, Greta Gerwig, of course, directing and co-writing the film with Noah Baumbach. Leo, what did you think of Barbie?
3: Well, I have a lot of feelings about it. And most of them are positive. When I when I first found out that Greta Gerwig was directing this, you know, and she had made some films that I liked very much, including Lady Bird and Little Women. And she had, you know, her take on motherhood and on femininity. I thought, what's she going to bring to this? And in fact, she brought quite a bit. And it was so much more than I could have expected in many ways. I'm not sure it completely walks the line as well as it maybe could have. But this is a movie that is about what Barbie is, It is, in many ways, reverential to Barbie. In other ways, it is very subversive. Um, It's kind of amazing that it manages to do both of those things. And because of the fact that Barbie is so fraught, Barbie comes with all of these contradictions and complications. And, you know, to to call someone a Barbie girl is, is in some ways to insult her, perhaps. But Gerwig doesn't run from those things. She embraces them. And that is what I liked about it, that this film takes on all of those things and addresses them. And it doesn't fully work through them. It leaves you with a lot to think about, but it certainly leaves you contemplating. I will go on to add that as a mother, as a woman, as a a Gen Xer, I I came to this with a number of perspectives perspectives that were specific to myself. <clears throat> My daughter, who's now 21, um, was moved to tears at certain points. Now, I wasn't moved to tears, but I I could see how, you know, that there's a speech that America Ferreira, the mother of this young girl who has grown disenchanted with her Barbie doll, that's sort of what the movie is about, that Barbie becomes part of the real world because she has to find this girl and make her fall in love with Barbie again. Anyway, America Ferrera gives this incredible speech about how women have to be kind, but they also have to be strong. They have to be generous, but they also have to be independent. You know, all of these things and all of these contradictions. I think it comes fully to the fore that it is sort of impossible, next to impossible to do all these things and do them well. And I think to the extent that it, it, it does them, it does them quite well. There's also been some talk about how this film, is. As some people have called it, man-hating. I don't think it is at all. <laughs> I think it is, it, it sort of, Really looks at the way men are in our society. There's a wonderful part where where uh, Ken, who's come along with Barbie to the real world, arrives in Century City and discovers that wow, there's a thing called the patriarchy that he never knew existed. In Barbie Land, women run everything and are all on the Supreme Court and are doctors and and completely you know un- uninhibited and un-, un not not held back. But in the real world, there still are levels of patriarchy and levels of of interference. And, you know, I I think it, it, it really it 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 did a lot of things and it did most of them very well.
0: We're talking about Barbie, which of course came out last week and grossed over two hundred million dollars in just its first five days.
3: Oh, that's uh, another point I just wanted to make, Larry. That the film, the the final sort of triumph of this film, is the fact that a woman directed, woman starring film about a woman, and a, and a doll, no less, <laughs> has become by far the most successful film of the summer. So that is, in a way, the fact that Barbie gets the last laugh,
0: and with two thirds women going that's, in the in the audience there you so go it and was one of the most gender dominant mm-hmm. films that, that we've seen so even
3: Charles, though it I suddenly say, winks at, at consumerism and yeah. capitalism you know it, it's it a succeeds. consumer success it is <laughs> it is, it is. Well, it,
2: it's strange to suddenly see barbie as this cinematic star because they had a, uh pixar had approached mattel for the first toy story movie to include the character and they said no mm-hmm. and then when toy story was such a success barbie and ken joined join the story, crew for, right? yeah for two yeah. and three
0: yeah, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> Manuel, your thoughts on on Barbie?
1: I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think one of the things to note is also how funny it is. Like this is a comedy, and I think when you have performers like Margot Robbie, Issa Rae, America Ferrara, and Ryan Gosling, who I think does such a fantastic himbo uh, performance. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about how, uh, you know, Ken's job is beach, um, which I think is such a perfect line. And it's it's so delivered so so wonderfully. There's a winking sense of humor that I really, really enjoy that, you know, if you've enjoyed Frances Ha and Mistress America, you could see the kind of tone um, that Gerwig has been honing, you know, um, for years now. And that implausibly she's a- she was able to um, sort of bring together in in Barbie, and which I think surprised a lot of us that thought we would just be getting, you know, a two hour long ad for Mattel. And you do and then you don't and it sort of it it really brings all these contradictions but it's a pink candy colored uh, sort of comedy <laughs> that I really, really enjoyed and I can't wait to watch again. And largely mm.
0: walking that line. You're talking yeah. about Lael of, of serving multiple uh, um,
3: narratives yeah, yeah
0: <laughs> that are in the film. Barbie in Wide Relief course rated pg-13 it's film week on LAS 89.3 coming up we revisit the exorcist 50 years later
3: the LAS spring super sweeps is happening now you can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism